I'm so glad that you're here. I just wanted to start off our gathering together with reading a verse that was put on my heart for this morning. Would you stand with us? We're going to read. I'm going to read Romans 5, 3 to 5 from the message. There's more to come. We continue in shout, shouting our praise, even when we're hemmed in with troubles, because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through his Holy Spirit. So this morning, let's just declare praises to him, for he is worthy. Lord, I confess.
Salvation. Healer. It's the King of Kings. Rabbi. Lord of Lords. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you down. It doesn't take a trophy to make you Than I am right now. And going through a storm, but I won't go down. And I hear your voice coming in the rhythm of the wind to call me out. And you would cross an ocean, so I wouldn't drown. You've never been closer than you are right now. Let's sing it out, church.
alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin lost without hope and with no place to begin and your love made a way to let mercy come in when death was arrested and my life began ash was redeemed only beauty remains and my orphan heart is given my morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance When death was arrested and my life began Let's declare this church Oh, your grace so free washes over me You have made me
every heart and every mind Cause I know there is peace within your spirit I speak Jesus starts to break declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus your name is power your name is healing your name
Hey, good morning. Welcome to Camrill Community Church. I'm glad you're with us, whether you're on campus, whether you're on the patio, if you're online right now. Everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome. Got my Starbucks this morning. If you ever uh, get a Starbucks, make sure you cover Medusa up with a CamCC sticker. And uh, we provide those stickers for free. And uh, well, welcome. We're so glad you're with us. If you're new to us, I'm new to you. My name is David Hurtado. I'm, a, I'm one of the pastors around here. And I do this thing afterwards. I hang out in the patio. If you haven't had a chance to, you know, kind of put a face with a name and had a conversation with me, please feel free to come on by. I'll be doing that today. Love to be able to meet with you uh, afterwards. So, hey, we're in uh, a series in the book of 1 Corinthians. We are landing the plane in chapter 15 today. It's been like five messages in chapter 15. Paul spent 58 verses in fact, chapter 15. And we're looking at the last eight of them today. But before we go there, I wanted to start off by this way. Just saying, I, I ran across this story. Oh, by the way, uh, all you high school students coming back from camp, putting your hands in the air in worship, that was awesome. Good to see you guys. I'm glad, you, glad you're here. Absolutely. Over here too. Yeah. And even if you're not in high school, you're cool too. Um, I, I ran across this story this week, and, uh, and I thought it was so good that I thought I'd share it. I thought it was really, really It's about this guy. He's a Christian guy. He decided he was going to like do his good deed of the day, and he was going to pick up a hitchhiker. He said, you know, I, you know, I, you know I, I probably wouldn't do this. My wife was with me. My kids are with me. It may not be the safest thing in the world. But you know what? I got a little bit of a long drive. And why don't I fix somebody up? Maybe I can get some conversation along the way. You know, what was going to be kind of, you know, quiet along this way. Maybe if I get a, a person in the car, we can have some discussion. Who knows? Maybe lead to God discussions or something like that. And so he says, you know, I think I'll pick up a hitchhiker. He sees a guy on the side of the road with his thumb out. And he looks at him. He looks at himself. and goes, ah, there's nothing to worry about here. There's no danger here. I could probably take him. And he decides to pull on over and, 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 and see if they can get a ride together. You know, they exchange kind of pleasantry, welcome pleasantries, and they confirm they're going in the same direction, and then sure enough, the guy jumps in his car, and they go on the way. And, and, and as they're going about 10 minutes down the way, he realizes, this Christian guy who's driving, that his, the conversation has kind of died out. And it's kind of got a little, like, awkwardly silent. And he thinks, well, oh, that's no big deal. It's just probably an introverted guy. Here I was hoping to have some conversation for the ride. And I got an introverted guy. I'm extroverted, and he doesn't want to talk. No big deal. Don't make, don't make any more of it in your mind. It's just an introverted guy who's just looking for a ride. Uh, it wasn't until after he resolved this internal debate inside himself that he looked over to the center console of the car where the cup holder is where he usually places his wallet. You see, the cup holder was empty and his wallet was not there. And what began as an awkward quietness turned into an eerie quietness. And he resolved in his mind why it was so quiet and why it was awkward and eerie because the man had stolen his wallet. So he quickly finds a spot to pull over, explains in no uncertain terms that man should get out of his car. And as the hitchhiker got out of his car, he said one last thing, and hand over the wallet. Now, the hitchhiker understood that the end of that statement was a or else, you know, type of thing. And sure enough, he handed him the wallet. Closed the door, puts the wallet right back in the cup holder where it belongs in its rightful place and heads on his way. The whole time singing, I was like, here I'm trying to do a good deed for the day. Trying, I'm a Christian, love God, trying to do And this is what happens. Can't believe that you take advantage of me that way. Goes along the journey for the day. Uh, as customary, goes home. Him and his wife have a conversation almost every day as it relates to what happened during the day. She goes first normally, and he allows her, and he engages in that discussion. But he couldn't wait until the time where he would be able to tell her what happened in his day. I can't believe, you won't believe what happened. He's trying to do this good thing for God, and can you believe this man 
try to steal my wallet right from underneath my eyes. But before he could even get started on his rendition of his day, his wife cuts in and says, before you get started, honey, I want to let you know that I found your wallet that you left on the living room floor, and I placed it on your nightstand. <laughs> it hit him like a ton of bricks. Here he thought he was sitting in the seat of righteousness when really he was arrested in the chair of injustice. Can you imagine that? Like, how do you even make that right? Where do you start? How do you find the guy? How do you appropriately apologize for that? And then there's the inner wrestle inside regarding the realization that it was my prejudice that assumed the guy stole it in the first place. And my prejudice was so strong that I didn't even check to see if the wallet was mine when he gave it to me. I just put it in its spot. There are some outcomes that are just irrevocable. You might be able to find the person, you might be able to appropriately apologize, but you're not going to be able to take away the situation. There are some outcomes that are just irrevocable. You can't take it back. And I say that this morning because our passage deals with some outcomes that are irrevocable. Like just like the driver can't undo the fact that he mugged the guy who he thought was mugging him, so Satan can't undo the fact that Christ, the Christ's crosswork and his resurrections have some irrevocable outcomes. Today, we're going to take a deeper look at some of these irrevocable outcomes. What does Christ's resurrection mean for the concept of death, both physically and spiritually? How does God deal with death in the short term, and how does God deal with death in the longer term? If death must die for believers to reach God, how does that happen, both in the short term and in the long term? For that, we're going to be in our Bibles. Open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, our last weekend in chapter 15 of the letter to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll look at verses 50 through 55 together. As I said in the last couple of weeks, we've been in the book or the letter to the 1 Corinthian church for about a year now. We started this last summer. We are a Bible teaching church. Uh, some people will love that and gravitate to it, and some people will go, no, that's not for me. Uh, too, 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 too much, you know, verse by verse, word by word. That's our rhythm, though. So we don't make excuses for it. That's who we are. And so we are going to go through every last word in the letter to the First Corinthian church, and today we'll look at verses 50 through 50. Now, the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is that Paul is like an all-out lawyer on the defense for the resurrection, it's been 58 verses. Let me tell you why the resurrection has to be there. It has to be certifiable. Not only did Christ have to be resurrected, today we have to be resurrected. If Christ wasn't resurrected, we have no faith. And if we aren't resurrected, there's no confirmation of our faith. It has to be there. I'll spend 58 verses. I'll die on this. It is not a secondary issue. It is a primary issue for Paul. And he's giving an all-out defense. The resurrection must happen both for Christ and for us. And as we look at today, we'll ask this question. What are the irrevocable outcomes of an actual bodily resurrection? Actual bodily resurrection. What are the irrevocable outcomes? What happens at the resurrection that are irrevocable? The first thing we're going to see is death is temporarily experienced. Death is temporary. Uh, when you think about death and maybe the worst concepts come to mind, uh, how I die, when I die, concern about dying, just understand this, it is all temporary. Uh, hopefully when you think of death, it kind of instantaneously you think temporary. All right, that doesn't feel good, not, not a fun thought to think about, but it's temporary. 
always latch on the second part of that, which is that death is temporary. What are the irrevocable outcomes of an actual body resurrection? Death is temporarily experienced. Let's look at verses 50 through 53. It says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and the mortal body, this mortal body, must put on immortality. We'll stop there. One of the irrevocable outcomes of an actual bodily resurrection, first, death is temporary. Now he comes out saying that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And this is actually a big problem. Perishable cannot uh, inherit imperishable. That is what is corrupt, cannot uh, inherit what is incorruptible. That is what is decaying, cannot inherit something that's not decaying. How does the body go from here to the eternal state if flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God? And this would actually find considerable um, uh, agreement with, with the first Corinthian church, whether it was, you know, uh, theologically, societally, philosophically, they had a problem. We've talked about this. The natural body cannot inherit the eternal state. They had a problem with the idea that matter, material, is evil. That was the Stoic philosophy, the Epicurean philosophy of the day. Well, this is evil. Matter is evil. So there's going to be no evil in the eternal state. So our bodies can't go with us. That was their mindset, theologically, societally. Uh, philosophically. So when Paul says, I agree with you, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom, oh great, we, we have something we can agree on, is the idea. They're in agreement with it. It can't. The perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. Corruptible cannot inherit that which is incorruptible. And then Paul goes on to say, but I'll tell you how it can. I agree with you. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven, but let me tell you how it's possible. In verse 51, we'll go back to there. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Whenever you see the word mystery in the New Testament, just understand what it's saying there is it's something that has not been uh, revealed uh, in the scriptures yet. So we have the idea of resurrection uh, or we have the idea of, 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 of um, death being uh, culminating or, or dying or death being uh, ceased at some point in the Old Testament, but we don't have the how. How does that happen? Paul says, let me give you uh, some insight into a ministry, a mystery that has not been revealed yet in the Old Testament. And he says, let me tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of the eye, at the last trumpet. He says, I'll tell you how this happens. There is those who are alive, and there are those who are asleep. Asleep in the New Testament is, is very often used as a euphemism for death. It's just a nicer way of saying death. There are those who are alive and there's those who are dead and both will be changed in a moment, uh, instantaneously, at the twinkling of an eye. You know how fast you can twinkle, you can, you can blink an eye? And like a millisecond. They're transformed in a second. God can do that. They're changed. Which by the way, for those of you who are concerned of those people who are, have already passed away and they aren't alive when Jesus comes back, what happens to them? They died. Us that are alive, we get to live. No, no, I want to understand something. The dead in Christ will rise first. They'll be transformed first. And then those who are living will be transformed instantaneously. Like, like a blinking an eye, a flash, it'll happen. 
It'll happen so fast. The temporal and imperfect will be exchanged for the eternal and perfect. There'll be a transformation that happens. We must be transformed to bear the likeness of the man of heaven. Just like we are represented by Adam, we must be represented by the last Adam. We'll be transformed just like Jesus was transformed at his resurrection as well. First, the dead are raised imperishable. Then those who are living will be changed and transformed. Now there is considerable consistency with what he's saying here with First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. I don't have time to go there today, but if you want to write this down, look at it this week. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17, you're going to find almost a mirroring passage on what he's talking about. Now what we're talking about today is something that's been entitled, I wonder if you've heard it before, called the rapture. Anybody heard of the rapture before? Anybody heard that title before? The rapture is the idea that Jesus comes back, meets us in the air, the dead in Christ rise first, and then those who are still alive on the earth, we meet them in the air as well. Our bodies are instantaneously transformed, and there's this period when Christ comes back, and there's the resurrection of those living and, and, and those who have passed away in Christ. I want to show um, a, a, a chart that I've shown before. It's an end times chart uh, that kind of shows where we are in redemptive history. Okay, so this would be like a Bible chart of redemptive history. Of course, you have eternity past, and then you have eternally uh, new heavens and new earth, right? You can see the Old Testament there, and then there's Christ's crucifixion, kind of marks the end of the Old Testament, and then we have the New Testament, right? Then you have seven years of tri tribulation, uh, and then you have a thousand-year reign of Christ in the last last uh, judgment before God, okay? So this is, we a timeline, uh, a timeline of redemptive history. You want to take a picture? You can take a picture. Um, I didn't invent this, so it's nothing, you know, it's not like you have to pay me royalties, so you can have it. And so, you, you know, the, the idea is this is, this is a, a chart of redemptive history. I want to show you what we're talking about, the rapture happens. And the next slide, we'll see that. See that area there? Christ returns for his church. And now, we're going to blow it up a little bit more so you can see exactly what's going on there on the next slide. And look, here we go. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18, and 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 53. Christ comes at the end of the church age. He comes to gather up his folks together in the air. First the dead in Christ rise, then those who are still here rise up, instantaneously change. We go on to the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 4, 19, the judgment seat of Christ, which is a judgment for rewards, and then God continues his plan for the rest of the earth, which is seven years of tribulation, thousand-year literal reign of Christ, and then at the very, very end, uh, Revelation chapter 20, 21, uh, creates a new heaven and a new earth. So that's where we are in the timeline of what's going on. Have you ever read the Tim LaHaye books um, um, that, that are out there that, you know, uh, talk about being left behind, you know, what happens to the people who are left here? That would be talking in the tribulation and the thousand-year reign of Christ. Well, because of the cross work of Christ, the whole idea is, and the ensuing resurrection, death is temporary. Uh, there's a temporary, maybe holding period. We're in paradise with Christ. Uh, uh, he says to the criminal cross, you will be with me today. You'll be with me in paradise. Paradise until uh, new heavens and new earth are created, and then we come back and we reign with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. But uh, if you don't get to the point where he comes back, understand this. Now, death is temporary. You'll be resurrected, instantaneous change, instantaneous change, the blinking of an eye flash, and then those who are present on the earth who are followers of Christ will be transformed as well. I, I want you to know that whatever happens in the realm of death, it's all what? Temporary. temporary. I think you guys get the point. 
I don't know about you, but the older I get, the better that sounds. <laughs> if you're struggling with health and different things, and you, you know, uh, as you get older, you start realizing that life is really fleeting. Like this goes really fast. 20 years, oh my gosh. In a blimp, it feels like. Uh, um, and then you start wondering what's going to happen in the end. Well, whatever happens in the end, it will only be temporary. Just understand that. And I hope that gives you a confidence about that and not worry. Well, what are the irrevocable outcomes of an actual bodily resurrection? Number one, death is temporary. Number two, death is permanently resolved. Uh, number two, death is permanently resolved. It's permanently resolved physically. It's permanently resolved spiritually. We're going to look at that together. Death is permanently resolved. It says this, starting at verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall it come to pass what is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We'll stop there. What are the irrevocable outcomes of an actual bodily resurrection? Well, number two, death is permanently resolved. Permanently resolved. Uh, he says, when we get to the point of the resurrection of the dead, that's when death is finally swallowed up. That's when it can be said, or it's said in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 25, verse 8, in Hosea chapter 13 and 14, there will be a cessation to death. There, these things were prophesied about. The hows weren't there, but they were prophesied about. There will be an end of death. And he goes, when the believers are resurrected, both living and dead, when they're resurrected to new life and transformed, that's when it can be said, and that's when it's verifiably true, that death has lost its victory. It's been swallowed up. Where is your victory, death? Where is your sting? Uh, you know, it's interesting. You can be stung by a scorpion. You can be stung by a bee. If you're stung by a bee, the bee, did you know this, leaves the stinger inside of you. That's why you got to take the stinger out so you can heal or whatever. Did you know when the bee flies away, it's going gonna, it's gonna to die in 24 hours? Do you know that? They can't live without their stinger. So they're so scared, they sting you, and then they die. The stinger stays inside of you. I want you to remember that because we're going to come back to that concept in a second. But he says... Death loses its victory. Death loses its sting. And then he grounds it. For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. What in the world's going on there? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. The sting of death is sin. The reason we have death is because of sin in the first place. The whole reason death came into the world, according to Genesis, is because Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, they weren't created to be mortal. They were created to be immortal. But when they sinned, they got the, sin, the sting of death. And then the power of death is the law. The law is what tells us what is right and wrong. It's the standard of God. And so when you have the standard of God, it reveals to us our sin, which reveals to us our death. The sting of death is sin, and the law is its power because it reminds us of the power of sin in our life. How does sinful man uh, 
arrive at community with God when he's sinful and God's not? How does the finite person arrive at, at community with God when he's infinite? How does a perishable person arrive at community with God who's imperishable, incorruptible? Reminds us of that problem. But here's what he's saying. The curse of Genesis chapter two and verse 17, when they eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, has been reversed. The stinger has been taken out. It's been drained of its potency. Christ has absorbed it. Death's powerful taunt has been taken away. It says it. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we get the victory? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross was to take the stinger out of us. So death doesn't have a victory. Death's been swallowed up. That's the work that was done at the cross. And then the first fruits of it were his resurrection. We will be the fulfillment of that whole thing. Revelation chapter 20 verse 14 says, Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Did you know at the very end, the very end, God throws death into the lake of fire. Death was not a concept that God wanted. The reason we have problems on this earth isn't because of God. The reason we have problems on this earth that lead to death is because of our own sin. God is going to throw, throw sin and death away. Hades and death will be thrown into the lake of fire and be dealt with. And then he will build a new heavens and a new earth where we will reign forever with Christ. And this is all said to take place and happen at our resurrection or our transformation. Now this is really interesting. This doesn't happen at Christ's resurrection. It happens at our resurrection. The confirmation of death losing its sting is our transformation into the eternal state. He's saying to them, you do realize if you give up the resurrection, you're giving up the confirmation that death is dead. Don't give this one up. It's not a secondary issue. It's a primary issue. It is the issue that allows us to live with a confidence that nobody understands. In fact, he goes on to say in, in the last verse, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, because of all this, because everything's taken care of, because death has lost its sting. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because all is taken care of, because God's taking care of the sting of death, you can now live with a confidence and live your life in such a way that you can be stubbornly steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, obviously, he's only talking about pastors here, Right? Uh, he's talking to us pastors. You're the ones who are supposed to give yourself to the work of the Lord, not, not everybody else. Oh, wait, it says my beloved blood brothers. That's everybody. Be steadfast. Be stubbornly, stand firm stubbornly. Be immovable, uh, unshakable, abounding in the work of the Lord. Your labor is not in vain. Anything that, 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 that comes upon your direction because you are representing Christ and you receive a burden for it. You stand up for Christ at work and you got demoted. You, you, you stood up for Christ but you lost this contract. Whatever it might be, when I, when I receive a burden for, for, for representing Christ, understand this, your labor is not in vain. You will one day stand before God and be fully rewarded for whatever burden you've taken on for the cause of Christ. There are Christians over the centuries who've been martyred, killed for what they believed. And you know what propelled them to be able to do that? 
They remember that they're living for another world. They remember that they're living for another world. Don't just hear that. Let that sink in. We are living for another world, not this one. And in that other world, Christ himself will reward whatever activity you participated on this earth. As you remain steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Understand this, your labor is not in vain. Christ will acknowledge it. Wow. I want to acknowledge Christ for what he's done for me. And yet he will acknowledge us. It's the age-old saying, you can take my body, but you can't take my soul. You can take my body. But this, that's what this means. You can take my Do whatever you want to me. But you can't take my soul. You can't take it. You can beat me. You can humiliate me. You can chop my head off. You can crucify me. You can do all these things, but you can't take my soul. Well, what does it all boil down to? The big idea today, without a future resurrection, death is not dead. Without a future resurrection, death's not dead. We need death to be dead to be able to be in communion with God, be able to go from the uh, perishable to imperishable, corruptible to incorruptible, from decaying to never decaying. Uh, death has to die, and that is verified in the resurrection. And it gives us the very sense that whatever happens on this earth, it's okay, it's all good. Then the worst you can do is take me out. Then I go see God. Paul had a thing about that. You know, if I die, I go see God. Man, I really want to do that. But if I don't die, then I can minister to more on there. Man, it's hard for me to decide. In Philippians, he does this. Which one? I'm juggling. Which one? Ah, man. I wish they would just kill me. I could see God. Ah, but I'll stay a little longer and I can serve him on earth. That was his deliberation. Not, when does my 401k get to this number so I can retire, right? You see, it seems at the very least, Christianity had a great understanding of this historically. Let me explain what I mean. Um, did you know that in the early century, uh, during the plagues, that's when Christians really made a name for themselves? Second century, third century. Second century Roman plagues. While the world was running for their lives, Christians were staying and caring for the sick and contagious. While the rest of the world was concerned that deities were obviously upset with all of humanity, Christians modeled an ideology that rejected that notion and instead said, no, 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 this is just a product of broken creation. Our storyline in our worldview isn't that God's mad at us, it's just that creation is broken. And by the way, uh, creation is broken, but Christ can fix that brokenness. And the reason we run towards the sick is because if we take our lives, okay, then we just go to heaven. Uh, we're not concerned about that. We're concerned about representing God and fixing broken creation. And guess what happened? Thousands of people were like, oh my gosh, that is so compelling. Everybody's running this way. You guys are running that way? And Christianity spread like wildfire because of this devotion they had to God and the belief they had to be resurrected. If I catch the disease, I'll just die and be resurrected. Death is temporary. It's actually been completely resolved, permanently resolved. And so if I'm living in the spiritual mindset, absolutely, I'm going to go be Christ to these people who are ill. And that took over the world. Again, in the third century, another plague hit Rome. 
It was said that Christians were heedless of danger, taking care of the sick and attending to their every need. A century later, even a pagan emperor wrote, he was acknowledging the compelling nature of Christians, caring not only for their own, but even non-Christian who were sick and dying. 1,000 years later, in 1500s, the bubonic plague hits. Martin Luther refused to flee the city to safety, but rather to stay and minister to the sick. It's not like he's a doctor. He's praying over the sick. It was a decision that would cost him his very daughter's life. They would later ask him about his mindset of not fleeing. And here's what he said. We die at our posts. Christian doctors cannot abandon their hospitals. Christian governors cannot abandon their, or flee their districts. Christian pastors cannot abandon their congregations. The plague does not dissolve our duties. It turns them into crosses on which we must be prepared to die. Wow. You see, that mentality, it only makes sense if you are thoroughly convinced that death is temporary and permanently resolved. That's why the Christians ran in. That's why they were ailing the sick during the bubonic plague. Because they were confident that this world doesn't end with what you see right here. There's something better coming. Only makes sense if death is dead to the believer. Without a future resurrection, death is not dead there is a future resurrection, then death is dead, and it gives us a confidence to live this life in a way that people would find shocking. I want to let you know today that you have access to the same confidence of all the great believers in history. You have access to the same confidence that Martin Luther had. You have access to the same confidence that John the Baptist had that would lead him to being okay with his head being chopped off. You have access to the same confidence that Paul had after being shipwrecked three times and beating so many times and finally murdered for the cause of Christ. You have access to the same confidence that Peter had when he said to them, that's fine, you can crucify me, but crucify me upside down because I don't want to be crucified like Jesus Christ because I don't deserve that. I don't want to be in the same sentence as being crucified. Please kill me, but do it this way, upside down, so there's a difference between the way me, I die, and the way God, Jesus died. You have access to that same confidence that John had when he was uh, put on death row on the island of Patmos for the rest of his life, ostracized from family and any, any individual that he knew. You have access to the same confidence that 10 out of the 12 disciples, apostles, died a martyrdom's death. You have access to the same confidence they had. You have access to that same confidence that can say, you can take my body, but you can't take my soul. Now, We're going to kind of turn here and apply this. And I'm going to ask you to do something that I have never asked you to do before. I'm going to ask there not to be any applause, no amens. I don't want to point the fingers at anybody because I believe all of us can be challenged in what I'm about to say. Can you do that? Just quietly receive this. When this COVID-19 thing happened and the pandemic happened, it really didn't stop me from doing anything I wanted to do in life. Now, let me contextualize this. I'm the guy that takes vaccines like they're candy. I mean, 
I get, I get allergy shots every month. I get the flu shot. Uh, give me your shot. I'll, I'll take, I, just, I, I don't have any problem with vaccines. But it didn't stop me from doing anything live either. I was like, oh, I got vaccinated, whatever. If it works, it does. If it doesn't work, whatever. They could be pumping water, man. I don't even know what it is. But it didn't stop me from doing anything. And if you needed me and it was appropriate for me as a pastor of the church to be at wherever I needed to be, I was there. And if I needed to pray over you, I wasn't worried about how close we got. Or if you needed a hug, I, I, it didn't stop me from doing anything. Now, I'm not in a high-risk category. I, I'm not, you know, I'm obese. But, but other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm fairly young. I wasn't that concerned. But regardless, I, I signed up to do this as a calling. It wasn't going to stop me from preaching the Word of God. It wasn't going to stop me doing any of that. And I want to make sure that I'm careful here because there is a high-risk crowd out there, and you need to be mindful of that. Or people that have family members who are in a high-risk category, and I need to be mindful of that and be careful of that for sure. I'm not talking to you, but I am talking to some folks who enjoy not brushing their teeth on Sunday and keeping their PJs on, just watching online. And I think back as a pastor to these passages in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now, before we start pointing the finger at everybody online, I just understand that all the stats in America today are most Christians go to church once a month. So let's not just, you know, point at them when, when we're sitting here once a month, every four weeks I come. I, you know, I'm going to make sure that I've got a passing wave to God every four weeks. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Does what I just described to you right there PJs on Sunday morning and once a month. Does that sound like the reputation that Christians have had since the second century? Does that sound like the reputation that Christians had in the third century? Does that sound like the reputation that Martin Luther says, I'm willing to lose my daughter? I'm running towards Christ. That's the most important thing. While they're doing all that, we're, we're wondering, can we make it to church on Sunday? You say, I am going to church. I'm going to church online. Well, understand this. There's somebody here who needs to be encouraged by you. There's somebody here that you could encourage or could encourage you. Let us encourage one another. As we see the day approaching, don't give up meeting together. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. You know what's interesting about this? All the stats across America, it's not just us, all the stats. Church attendance is down. It's down. Because of this pandemic thing. And I, and I think to myself, you know, I would expect a non-believer to not attend. If you're attending here and you're a non-believer, well, I'm like, like, wow, that's really amazing. They don't know any better. But Christians who can't find a way to prioritize the worship of God, really? When we have this history of people willing to die for their faith. Why? Because death is temporary and it's permanently resolved. And it won't stop me from laboring after God. That's what the passage says. One more. 
talked to a person um, recently. They don't go to our church. Wonderful person. It wasn't a contentious conversation at all. I just was trying to get understanding of the mindset. They said to me, you know, I don't go to your church, but I've been going to another church, and I haven't been since the pandemic. I haven't been. I said, really? Yeah, I just, just concerned about, and again, it's just a good nature, full-on believer in Christ. It's concerned about the spacing and the masking at churches and whatnot. And I, wow, we're two years in. We got baseball stadiums full. We got, we got basketball stadiums full. We don't seem to be worried about the square footage per capita when we go to the dinner reservation that we have. We come to church and we're worried about the square footage per capita, which, by the way, we got a lot of square footage here. It's probably like 40 feet in the air. Oh, and by the way, I don't know that the restaurants, if they've invested in UV filters that kills the virus on contact, we did that. All of our air conditioning that gets sucked in kills it right on contact. I just said, you haven't gone. It's been two years. Well, I go online every guy. I said, I get that. That's great. I'm, I'm no question about your faith. Can I just ask a question? What will the conditions be to get you to come back? Like, what will the conditions be to get you to come back to where you are comfortable? What do the conditions have to be laid out for for you to be able to come back? Because at this point, I know people have had the thing three times. It's not going anywhere. People get vaccinated, still get it. What are the conditions to which you'll be comfortable and safe enough to come back and worship God corporately as it's described in the scriptures? And so I just ask you that question. What will the conditions be for you to feel like it's okay for me to prioritize the worship of God corporately? And just so that we don't have our online folks feeling super, super convicted and nobody else in the room, what will the conditions be for you to prioritize the worship of God on a weekly basis versus once every four or six weeks? Men of God, are you prioritizing in your family to show them that the worship of God is important? Are you leading them in that direction? Verse 58. Therefore, because all these things are taken care of in Christ, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, stand firm, immovable, unshakable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, as long as there isn't a pandemic. Oh wait, that's not in my Bible. Knowing that the Lord of your labor, or the, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Without a future resurrection, death is not dead. There is a future resurrection. Christ was resurrected and death is there. Therefore we serve God, no matter what the circumstances are. That's the point. Bow your heads, let's close our eyes. Father, it's challenging for all of us, all of us, myself included. There's all points in our life where our uh, commitment to you, our devotion to you pales in comparison to where it should be. All of us. There's not a person in the room who can't find something in their life they should be doing more for you. And so all of us come in the same place. We all come on our knees. We all come embracing the grace of God. We all come in thanking you that you don't hold us onto our own actions, but you give us credit for another person's actions. Would you give us the resolve and give us the confidence that we see in the scriptures 
to be able to live as such people who could say, death is dead, and so therefore I don't bow to it. I bow to God. I bow to God. And Father, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention our country is at such unrest right now. You know, I stand confidently before you. I don't represent the right or left agenda. I represent the gospel agenda and your agenda of love. I ask you, Lord, bring peace to our country. Bring peace to our country. And may whichever side they're on, may they see us and see the gospel and the attractiveness of Jesus in us, in our actions and in our words. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know what's um, worse than dying of COVID? And that's dying without the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we have a mission here on this earth. You know, death, uh, we talk a lot about death today, not the most exciting thing, but you know what? The statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one people die. Everyone here, we're all going to face that someday. Um, and no one's promised 80 years. Sometimes people die young. We've had um, a couple this year of young 20-year-olds from our church die um, for various reasons. Um, no one's promised 80 years. And the question I have for you, if you're here or online, is do you know where you're going to go when you die? Uh, you can know with confidence that you're going to be with God in heaven by uh, following, accepting Jesus' forgiveness and following Him, making Him your Lord. And if you're here today and you haven't done that and you feel God pulling you towards that, you can be done with a simple prayer in the quietness of your heart, whether you're on your couch or you're here in church, where you just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. I accept your offer to forgive me. I believe that your death on the cross was sufficient to pay for those sins. I'm going to turn away from my old life and I'm going to begin following a new life with you. The words don't matter. The intent of your heart, if you have that basic idea of you're just turning and calling out to Jesus for forgiveness, then you're saved. He's going to answer that prayer. If you're here today and you've just made that prayer, or if you're online, oh, we'd love to know. Um, if you're here, go to the counter on the way out on the left-hand side. There's some people there ready to talk with you, help answer any questions. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one. If you're online, you can go to our website, camcc.net, and click on Next Steps. Um, for, we're going to receive our offering now. Thank you for those of you who partner in ministry with us by giving. Uh, there's three ways to give, as you can see on the screen. It's so important. We're, you know, every morning when I drive to church, I, drive, I live in Mission Oaks, and I drive down to Upland, and you kind of see all of the all the valley of Camarillo. And I just pray that the Lord would allow us to reach the people of Camarillo through this church ministry that we're doing here. And when you give, you're partnering in, with us in that. And uh, one of the things that just happened, this, I just got back from Friathon, you can probably tell from the tan. <laughs> That's good. Um, it was an awesome trip. We took 87 high school students. Many of them came on scholarship because of your generous donations. Um, we had 15 kids either accept Christ or rededicate their, their life to Christ. And we baptized 11 students um, at the trip. It was a tremendous time. Yeah. It was awesome. And it's because of your generosity that we're able to do these things. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So before we move on, 
Uh, let's check out what's coming up next at KMCC. Hey KMCC, I'm Megan Terryberry. I'm a part of our worship ministry here at church. If you are a first, second, or third time guest, we have some gifts for you to thank you for hanging out with us. We would love to put a face to the name, so please walk over to the welcome counter in the lobby with a connection card, or if you're online, please go to kmcc.net slash next steps. Check out what's coming up at KMCC. July 2nd, Escape Room. 3 to 5 p.m. Fourth and fifth graders, this one's for you. Invite all your friends to join you for the Fountain of Youth escape room and see if you can all escape. For more info, check out our website or contact Colin at camcc.net. August 5th through 8th, middle school summer camp. Enjoy kayaking, snorkeling, swimming, volleyball, basketball, and giant group games on Catalina Island. This will be an amazing experience for you and your friends. There are limited spots available, so go to kmcc.net slash Catalina to sign up today. Important dates coming up, so make sure to save the date and also check out upcoming events at kmcc.net. August 30th, KMCC Blood Drive. September 4th, Growth Group Signups. October 21st through 23rd, Men's Retreat. Stay in the loop of what's going on at KMCC, follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to kmcc.net. Love that verse on verse 54 where it says, death is swallowed up in victory. Um, I have four kids, they all came running into me one day, and all of them kind of had a panicky look on their face, and they all looked at the little one, and they looked at me, and they said, Harper swallowed a penny, and I was like, are you sure, are you sure she swallowed it, you know, took her to the doctor, did an x-ray, sure enough, she had a penny in there, you know, um, so I just told her, you know, it's okay, don't worry, that penny's gonna come out, it'll be fine, um, but how wonderful is it that when death is swallowed up, it's not coming out, uh, it's over and done, um, I just want to thank you so much. If you would just stand up. Um, we're going to send you off this morning. And just remember that if it's your first, second, or third time here, if you would just go to the Welcome Center, we have a gift for you. And if you're watching online, if you could just go to camcc.net slash next steps. Um, and we have some stuff on there for you as well. Praise God for how he moved at Friathon this week. Very excited for that. And I just want to encourage you next week to come and invite someone to come with you and be thinking about who that might be. Um, thanks for being here today, and we'll see you next week.